Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time together. Uh, Continue to strengthen us in our resolve to pray forward and bring about those things that need to be done according to your holy will to spread your kingdom, to strengthen it here on earth as it is in heaven, and that we will be a part of all that you have in mind for us during these days. Bless each and every one on the line. Bless Jeff and open up our hearts, Lord God, to hear what is to be shared during this time. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus the Messiah. Amen and amen. Uh, Jeff Morton is my personal friend. I've uh, known him for the last good four years, and we have an interesting start, but I I won't go into that right now, Uh, Jeff. So here you go. The floor is yours. Take over. Uh, and then at the end, when you're ready uh, for any questions and uh, comments, uh, just say that, and they will they will chime in. I'm sure. God bless you. Well, thank you, Michael, and I, I want to just thank you for allowing me to for inviting me to be on on uh, Strike Force. You know, I've been a part of what you've been doing in the background, <clears throat> watching uh, this thing develop and blossom into what it's become, and you know, it's just exciting across the board. And I should say across the country, and so I'm I'm grateful to have an opportunity to share with the folks that uh, are a part of this. And I want to thank everyone who also has joined in on the call. <clears throat> now, I'm going to start by telling you just a little tiny bit about me because time is short, and I know that this goes real fast, and I could do this for the next month. Uh, but anyway, my name is Jeff Morton. I'm from New York originally, Rochester, New York. I moved to the Pacific Northwest. As a 17-year-old kid, uh, I came out here because one of my older brothers was here and my dad at the time. Uh, So I got on a Greyhound bus after high school, and I came to the Pacific Northwest, and I've been here pretty much most of the time, uh, with the exception of having moved to San Diego during the Navy days. In any event, uh, I, I actually accepted the Lord when I came to Oregon. Uh, I currently live near Tacoma, Washington, Puyallup, Washington is where I reside, which is just uh, uh, east of uh, Tacoma. And my wife and I moved up here in 2010. So having been out here for the last 40-plus years, uh, I've raised four kids. They all call me dad. I've been their dad their entire life. My wife and I are going on 30-plus years marriage. And uh, I accepted the Lord on October the 6th. Uh, 1977, and uh, from that moment on, I started uh, learning things about the Bible. We had a dog named Satan when we were kids, and so we were as far away from the church as you could probably get. My mom raised seven kids by herself. Our father left us. Um, uh, that's a that's an ugly story, but he left us, and uh, mom proceeded to raise seven kids, five sons, and two daughters, pretty much by herself. So it was a tough upbringing. Uh, We went through a lot of difficult times. But I always, I remember as a kid, I used to go down to this particular church in our neighborhood. And our neighborhood, when we moved into the neighborhood, was predominantly white, and over the years it eventually became predominantly black. But this one church, I used to go down there, and I would sit outside on Sunday morning wondering what these folks were doing. 
uh, I didn't know anything about church. I think I was probably eight, nine years old. The church was right around the corner. So I would go down there and sit outside, and one day, uh, on a summer day, uh, the pastor of this church had a black um, garment on with a white collar. I didn't know what that meant, but he walked out, and he saw me sitting out there week after week, and he invited me in. And so I went into the church. I sat in the front row, and here there there were all these, uh, pardon my expression, but these were old folks predominantly white, and here I was this little black kid, the only black person in the place, uh, wondering what was going on. So I think at that moment in time is when the God of, of creation was, was urging me to get to know him. Uh, so I tell that story. And uh, <clears throat> when I accepted the Lord in 1977, uh, I always had, as I began to go to churches uh, and, and, and learn you know, the Christian narrative on the Bible, I had a, um, I always had this, this gnawing question in the back of my head, and I'll get to that in a minute. When I met Michael, uh, I'm going to tell you how I met Michael. Uh, about four or five years ago, I think it was about five years ago, Michael, uh, <clears throat> Michael was one of my biggest antagonizers on Facebook. I couldn't post anything without him coming back with some kind of, uh, uh, he just lambasted me, uh, no matter what I put on there. And this went on for, gosh, I think maybe, I don't know, close to a year? <laughs> close. <laughs> so, so one day I said, you know what? I think it was you, Michael, who said, let's go to dinner. Hmm. So we we didn't live too far from each other, so we met. I, I took him to dinner. I bought his dinner. We sat at the table, his Bible, my Bible, and I said, okay, Let's have this conversation. And when I got done, uh, when we got done, we sat there for a couple of hours. Um, Michael's mind was like, it's almost like seeing a, uh, a, a balloon blowing up, and you could just see his eyes rolling because I was sharing with him a concept in the Bible that most of us in the Western world are not familiar with. And this all happened for me. What happened to me happened in 2007. Going back to the question I always had, I always wondered for 40 years, why are we always saying the Jews didn't get it and they didn't understand what was happening while we teach the material they wrote telling us all about it? I, that was, a, that was a, a question that I could never really come to understand, I'm, I'm going, here we are reading the material every Sunday that they wrote telling us all about the Gospels, telling us all about the Old Testament, the New Testament, telling us all about the experiences from Genesis all the way up to Revelation, and the pastors would then say, and the Jews didn't, didn't get it, they rejected the Messiah. And I would sit there and go, well, if they didn't get it, why are we teaching their material? This was part of my Christian understanding of the Bible. I, I could never get past that. I eventually left the church because I, I would ask questions. I would read certain passages in the Bible, and I would ask questions. And pastors would get mad at me and uh, get upset with me. And so I kind of left, and then I kind of spiraled out of control and uh, ended up having to return to the biblical 
uh, truths that I, I, I remember it was in 2000 and, or 1998. I was really living quite crazy, and I wrote about it in my book. And uh, I got on my hands and knees in my living room, and uh, my wife and the kids had moved away because dad was out of control. And uh, <clears throat> I got on my hands and knees, and I cried out to the Lord, and I said, you know, I don't understand this. I've never understood this. And my prayer was, you have to show me who you really are because I'm not getting this. Uh, I just didn't get it. And uh, three days later, I got hit by a, by a, I got broadsided by a church van. <laughs> I'm sorry to laugh, and it's, it's part of my testimony. But I cried out to the Lord, Lord, you've got to stop me from this chaos and this craziness going on in my life. And you've got to show me who you are. That literally was my prayer. I'm crying out to the Lord. Tears pouring down my face. And uh, I was pretty broken. And three days later, I got hit by that church van. <laughs> it T-boned the side of my car. And I woke up in an ambulance heading to the hospital. I didn't know I was, I thought I was having a dream until they put that needle in my arm and said, you're on your way to the trauma center. Anyway, that was, that was the, 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 the day in 1998 that the Lord arrested my behavior and got a hold of me. And um, I came home from the hospital, and I thought, okay, I need to, I need to press into this Bible stuff again because my life is a mess. And then... Um, I had a complete brain aneurysm 90 days later. I um, had these headaches for two weeks. They were, they were more than headaches. It was like somebody was in my head with a pitchfork trying to pick their way out of my brain. And for two weeks, I laid pretty much in my bed, immobilized. It hurt to move my eyes. So I finally ended up at the hospital, and... Uh, they said, well, let's, let's check you out because they thought I was having some migraines from the accident. So they gave me a shot in the rump and sent me home and said, let's see if this makes a difference. Didn't do a thing. So the next day I woke up and I couldn't see. It looked as though I had a fluorescent light laying across my eyes. I, it was bright white and I couldn't see anything. So I'm back up at the hospital. They did a CAT scan and said that one side of my brain was fully uh, engulfed with blood. And so I had surgery. And to make a long story short, I recovered. They were expecting me to have a neurological malfunction. They thought I was going to need uh, care for the rest of my life if I survived the surgery. Most people die from the type of aneurysm that I had within three minutes. And I had it for two weeks. So the doctor said to me, you know, it's physically impossible for you to be alive. You're, you're not supposed to be here. And that's actually in my records. So anyway, I came through all of that. And then uh, in 2007, I went to a conference. This not, I've completely, fully given my life back to the Lord, and I'm, I'm learning the Bible. And I have all these questions. So in Vancouver, Washington, one of the senators and his wife put on this conference between Jews and Christians. It was called Convergence. And I went to this thing. It was $175. I asked my pastor to go. He refused. 
he said, he actually said to me, I'm getting a little concerned about your wanting to understand all that Jewish stuff. And he actually said to me, I'm concerned about your salvation. And I thought, well, you, you, you teach all this Jewish stuff every Sunday. I don't get it. So anyway, I ended up um, at this conference, and I met a person there who asked me a couple of questions. And I had an encounter that day where I, I got like a download. I can't explain it. But the Lord showed me who he was. And quicker than you can blink your eye. And the guy who was talking to me, his name was Mark Bills, Pastor Mark Bills. And uh, <clears throat> he grabbed a hold of my arm and said, are you okay? And I said, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I just saw everything different than what I had been taught in the churches, everything, everything. And uh, 30 days later, I got a... Um, the Lord spoke to me in a church, in this church where the pastor got mad at me. He, he, the, the words came to my head. This is what I heard. It was an audible voice. It said, go, and I, I asked this question. We were studying the book of Galatians. The two pastors were gone, and they had an underling that was there. So I'm backing up a little bit. <clears throat> the person who was speaking was Greg, and he got up on the on the platform, and he said, we're going we're gonna to talk about Galatians. And uh, he said, turn to Galatians 3. And then he said, as he was talking, he said, can you believe those foolish Jews went back to temple worship? Well, I knew that wasn't true. I knew they were going back to the temples of Helena and Apollo and Diana. Uh, and that's a long story. There's a lot of, lot of information there. But we don't have time to get into all of that. But I knew what he was saying was incorrect, and I kind of put my head down with the Bible open, and I mouthed. Uh, under my breath almost, Lord, why do we always throw the Jews under the bus? And a few seconds later, on the right side of my head, I heard this. Because I was Jewish, go and learn why I was Jewish. And I snapped my head around to look at the people behind me to wonder what he said. He said he didn't say anything. I put my head back to the book. And this time I heard in my head, is this not the material I, I purposed them to teach you? Go and learn why I was Jewish. That, that was a transformative moment in the life of Jeff Morton because I realized, I can get a little emotional. My prayer in 1998 when I got on my hands and knees was answered that day because I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew that the God of the Bible was real. And so it was 30 days after that that I went. And I, I met Mark Bills at this uh, thing, this conference. And while I was there, he showed me something in the scriptures. And as soon as I read what he wrote, I got a download. And that's the day that the entirety of the Bible changed. So I have been for 13 years now uh, trying, well, <clears throat> trying to share with people what happened. And it, it's, it's not easy because I'm in a world where we have a Christian concept of the Bible, and I no longer have that concept alone. I have, I have a, a, an entirely different understanding of what's happening in the Bible. So I started seeking out people who could show me what, I, what was in my head. 
which led me to a lot of the, I went to the Messianic world, I went to the Hebrew Roots world, but I ultimately started studying from the academic world and the scholarship world. And I began to see what these people were studying for 40 and 50 years of their life. This is what was downloaded in my head. And I began to see a completely different story in the Bible, and I understood Jesus completely different. And so for as long as I've been doing this now, this has been my heart's cry. It's in part what the Lord showed me to my Christian brothers and sisters with regard to there's a much, 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 much more going on in the biblical story than what we've been taught for 1,800 years. And I've not one time had one person that actually pursued this information in the course of the last 13 years reject it. Because when you start looking at the Bible from a different lens, then you start seeing a different story unfold than just the Gospels. And that's kind of how what Michael was challenging me on was because I was explaining concepts that we, we just don't know in the Christian world uh, as a result of a lot of the things that have happened over the past 1,800 years. And so, Michael, when I began to share this with you, you started doing your own research. And uh, the, the relationship that we have now as a result of that is not because uh, he and I are buddies and we see each other on a regular basis because he understood and understands a lot more of what he was antagonizing me about initially than he did. And this has been something that I've dealt with now for 13 years. And so what I try to do is to say, okay, Jesus was doing a million things, but if you don't understand the Hebrew script and what was happening in the first part of the book, then it becomes difficult for us as Western uh, studiers of the Bible to understand it from a, from a Hebraic perspective. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll finish by saying this. I had a Jewish woman say to me probably 10, 11 years ago, she said, Jeff, you know that I have believed in the Messiah Jesus with all of my heart. And I said, yes. She said, well, what you don't know is so does my family, my mother. We can go all the way back to the 11th century. And she said, what does that make us? I said, well, it makes you Christians. And she said, we have never been Christians. We are Jewish. We understand your Jesus completely different. And perhaps you should go and learn why he was Jewish. <laughs> so I've been doing this now for, uh, I've been speaking and, and doing a lot of different things because when the, I've had, literally, I, I just had, Michael, you're going to get a kick out of this. I was speaking to a couple. Uh, I'm a plumber by profession, and I, I'm always sharing this message to people. Well, I was in a Christian home a few days ago. I sent the people some information. They called me right before the call tonight, and they wanted to know more. They were blown away. They were floored by the information I sent them. I said, I'm going to have to call you back. I'm talking 30 seconds before I dialed the number. They were on the phone with me. 
And so what I try to do to the Christian mind, and I'm, I'm a Christian, make no mistake about it, okay? But Jesus was Jewish. What does that mean? And, and the, the, the reality of the situation is the Bible was not meant, it was not written to us. We were not the audience. But it was purpose for every generation. But for some reason, God wanted those people in that time to write these books and so for us, it does us a great big service to go back and understand the culture, to understand the concepts, and to understand what was going on in, those, in that world, whether it be in the time of Abraham, whether it be time of Jacob, whether it be in the time of the disciples. If we don't understand the world of Jewishness, and I'm not – if we don't understand – what God poured into this people, whether or not they did it, did it or not, or went along, if we don't understand what he poured into these people, it's truly, and I say this with all humility, impossible for us to understand the kingdom of God in the earth being born. It's not possible. And so what Michael has asked me to do is to come on here and just kind of tell you folks what my story is. And for the sake of time, we don't have a lot of time to go into a lot of things. Um, But I will say this. What you people are doing with praying, this is a huge thing. This is a gigantic thing. So there's a language in the Bible that we don't understand. It's called the kingdom language. And I'll give you a perfect example. When Peter was, uh, when, he, when Jesus said to Peter, uh, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He said it three times. Of course, Peter, de- you know, denied him. The proper context to that is he is a king, and he's talking to one of his subjects. And the word love, which is translated there from the Greek into English, actually is the word chesed, which is spelled C-H-E-S-E-D. And it means absolute loyalty, undying loyalty, the kind of loyalty that love spurs when it's done proper. So what Peter, what, what Jesus is asking Peter is, are you loyal to me in the proper context? And, of course, Peter was disloyal. He didn't stop loving him. He didn't stop honoring him. He just was disloyal when the rooster crowed. And that's actually uh, not even correct because there were no roosters allowed in the temple because it was considered an uh, unclean bird. But they had the town crier, which would have been the person who did the morning prayers, who did three times. Before that person finished the morning prayers, Peter would deny him, and that's exactly what happened. So there's a, there's a concept going on that if we don't understand what the temple is, if we don't understand what the king of kings is to that world, if we don't understand what the word gardener meant and garden and trees to that world, then we read it from a literal perspective and we don't understand the concepts that are being taught to us. And this is what I do. Uh, I try to do this, and I, I see this stuff as clear as you all see the gospel message. I see the bigger picture behind the gospel message, which is huge. 
And that's what um, that's that's kind of why Michael wanted me to come on and speak. And Michael, I, I I don't really know where to go with this after that, other than you know, there's a lot of material out there. The one thing I will say to you is that your salvation is actually your activation to make make way for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In other words, <clears throat> we are to be the front line in defense of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We are supposed to be the warrior group, not the folks waiting to be removed and rescued. We've been rescued. Now we're activated into the kingdom as messengers, royal messengers, if you will, and we have a job to do. And you folks that are praying across the nation are part of that process. It's, it's pivotal. But also, we have to represent the king. And we have to represent his government. And we have to understand what the book of Leviticus is all about. And we have to understand why Abraham was a king. We have to understand why all the descendants of Adam were kings. We need to understand what's actually happening in the biblical story because God is trying to show us what he's doing through a people called Israel. And that's the kicker. And, of course, uh, we have um, we have 1,800 years of anti-Semitism. Folks, I, I, I want to throw something out here for you. If, if you go back and you look at the church fathers and what they said about the Jewish people and Israel, it's heartbreaking. Um, there's a book called The Roots of Christian Anti-Semitism by Malcolm Hay. It was written in 1950. When I read, read this book, I, I cried through virtually every chapter because I couldn't believe what, what actually happened. But the thing that the Lord began to show me was how did the persecution of the Jewish people by either the Church of Spain, the Church of England, the Catholic Church, how did that affect what we've learned? And I began to see something that is frightening but you have to do your own research, and you have to understand these things. And Jesus is the guarantee. He literally was the guarantee, the offering, that guaranteed the nation of Israel would be born again, and it was in 1948. And that particular day that it was born is actually the day that Abraham was born in biblical years. So when you begin to see this, all this stuff is all connected, then it gives you a different purpose and a different understanding and a different role to play in marshalling in the kingdom of God here in this place. So I, I mean, I, I could go on and on and on. I could give you a bunch of examples. Like part of uh, one of the things I did was I started seeking out people who could teach me. I started reading, reading a lot of Jewish material. Of course, I believe in the Messiah. So, uh, I understand the Bible from a different perspective. It's not possible for me to deny him. It's not possible for me to deny the cross. It's not possible for me to deny what happened. It's not possible because the story unfolds in the book of Genesis. But you have to understand all of that stuff, and it takes time to learn this stuff. So I started learning from Professor Christine Hayes. Uh, she talks about the ancient legal systems of the ancient world. Professor Skip Moen, who I brought to town to get a conference. John Walton, who is probably preeminent in my world. Uh, Sheila McGinn, she teaches about the royal covenants and how all of these things matter. 
Professor L. Michael Morales talks about the temple. If you don't understand what the temple was, folks, close your Bible. It's not helping you. Uh, and I, I say that with I say everything with humility, but I also say, please don't don't take my word for it. You got to you got to study yourself. I'm I'm getting ready to read a book by uh, Ian Pravan. It's called Professor Ian Pravan. It's called Seriously Dangerous Religion: What the Old Testament Really Says and Why It Matters. Folks, when I had this download, I didn't know there were people out here who knew what was in my head, but there are. And the thing that I found is that the academic world and the pastoral world are completely disconnected. John Walton, I was driving him to the airport. John Walton has written 36 books, 37 maybe. He's done the Lost World series. And I said, John, what, what, what about uh, Jesus? He said, Jeff, I'm not a theologian. I said, what do you mean you're not a theologian? This is after the conference. He was there for a weekend. He said, I'm a, I'm a text analyst. I, I studied the ancient languages of the Bible, the Hittite, the Egyptian, the Babylonian, the Syrian, and the Hebrew, and the Greek. He said, that's what I've done for 40 years. And I, it kind of blew my mind because here I'm thinking this man of God, he says, no, I don't talk theology. If you want to know what they meant when they used the word garden, I'll tell you what that means. If you want to understand what hyperbole was or personification or the analogies in the Bible, I'll share with you what that means. See, see we look at the Bible from our cultural lens. We, we look at everything through what we've learned. But Paul wouldn't, he, he wouldn't even relate to that. He wouldn't know anything about it. I often tell people, if I hand it to Moses a picture taken from the Hubble spacecraft of the Earth, what would he say? Well, there's two things. He wouldn't know what a picture was, and he wouldn't know what he was looking at. So when he's talking about heaven, what is he talking about? And so we have to give the scriptures back to the people who wrote it and put it in the cultural context from which they wrote it and understand how they wrote it. They didn't have sentences. They didn't have paragraphs. They didn't have vocation like we have. They didn't have the academic world that we have. So how did they do that? And they certainly didn't have science. Their world was mythological. Everything they did was from a mythological lens. And gods were the, the, the gods were the people that lived in the temples. And so we need to understand how God used the world they lived in to tell the story that you and I are benefiting from. And it is mind blowing. It will blow your mind. I've been saying this for 14 years. It will blow your mind. And I think that's what happened to Michael the day we went to dinner. So Michael, I, I, don't, I don't know where to go with this. I do want to share one thing. I want to tell the story, the backstory, and I'll do that before the end of the call, about what Jesus wrote when he was confronted by the uh, I call it the uh, Bernie Sanders supporters. Uh, when they when they were, when they were going to put when they were going to put the uh, woman to death, the adulterous woman. I, I want to share right. the backstory on that. I can I can I suggest Jeff that you, I think that would give them uh, an understanding of how you see uh, the scriptures and how you see Jesus. So go ahead and tell that, and then we'll open it up with with whatever amount of time we have left, uh, those who need to go will go. Uh, but uh, then that way they can ask you questions. Because I think it, I remember when you, we talked about it uh, last Sunday, 
uh, and so I think it would I think it would be a good point here that would help them see uh, what you're talking about. Okay, great. Uh, when we talk about the adulterous woman, uh, as Jesus he stoops down. Uh, Yeshua is proper. Yeshua means salvation in in Hebrew, so I, I like to use his, his given name. Uh, when Yeshua was, he bent down twice. But we need to understand the backstory, and of course, you can learn the story in the Book of John. It talks about it was the day of the the last day of the great feast. And so when we understand what the festivals were, see, we, we, when we do the Jewish feast, for example, Yom Kippur and uh, uh, First Fruits, if we, if we look at the seven festivals that there are, well, Leviticus 23 says these are my festivals. These are the Lord's festivals. They were never Jewish. They're his. And the word uh, festival, when you look at it in Hebrew, it means Moedim or Moed. And it's talking about appointed times, like something written on a calendar. Jesus died at Passover. That's one of the feasts. He was raised up on the first fruits. He left 40 days later, 10 days before um, uh, Pentecost. So when we, under, when we can put those dates into their proper order, the Bible begins to show us what he's doing uh, as far as fulfilling calendars. So while he's here, calendar dates, I should say, while he's here, it was the last day of the great feast, and this would have been the feast or festival of Sukkot. Everybody was required to be in Jerusalem for this feast, both your parents and the children. There were some feasts where only the men had to be there and the oldest son, 18 or older. But this is where everybody had to be there. So <clears throat> this is where God told, told the Hebrews and the, the Jewish people to celebrate for seven days. Seven days is gigantic, okay, in biblical speak. So anyway, <clears throat> Jesus is, he, it was customary after the festival to go up to the temple. When you think of the temple of Israel or any temple of the ancient world, think of a government building because that's what it was, okay? In the, it, that's where the gods lived, whether it be Apollo in the, uh, in the Greek world, Zeus in the Roman and in and, and our particular understanding, it would have been our God. That would have been his dwelling place. That's why he wanted a temple built, is to dwell amongst his creation. So <clears throat> they're in the temple the day before, and they're doing the water libation ceremony. It's actually down the hill from the temple. So it says in Jeremiah 14.8, Oh, the hope of Israel, the Savior in time of trouble, why should you be like a stranger in the land and like a traveler who turns aside to tarry for a night? If you, when you're looking at the prophet, the prophetic messages of Jeremiah, you begin to see that there's something going on on this day when they brought the adulterous woman. <clears throat> Jesus had just the previous day declared that he was the Messiah. Second, because of the ceremony of water pouring, celebrating the fountain of living waters, had just been celebrated during the seven days of the Feast of Tabernacles. This verse in Jeremiah would be well known to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. This is critical that you understand this. He's in the temple with all the priests, and they're doing the water libation ceremony where they put the golden cup down in there and they pull up the water, uh, and it says, he who drinks, let him thirst no more. This is a ceremony that they've been doing for 1,500 years. So 
Now, it's also the Feast of Trumpets has just ended and Yom Kippur. We're in that time right now, today, in today's world. That leads up to the Feast of Tabernacles. One was examining their lives to ensure that their names was written in the Book of Life and not the Book of Death. In, in Hebrew culture, being written in the Book of Life meant eternal salvation to them. Being removed from the Book of Life meant condemnation and death, separation. So that, that was kind of a common state that was well understood. Okay, I don't want to lose anybody here. So Moses refers to the book of life when he intercedes for Israel after the sin of the golden calf. He pleads that if God cannot forgive his people, Israel, that God would blot his name out of the God's book. That's where that whole concept comes from. So when we move forward, <clears throat> these guys are... This is the day before, the, the last day of the feast where he stands up and said, I am the fountain of living water. And he's talking to a bunch of lawyers, if you will. These were the high priests. These were the Pharisees. And not all the Pharisees rejected Jesus. That's very important. So this particular day, they were incensed because he had been claiming that he was the Messiah, and they were worried that Rome was going to bring in and kill him and destroy him and destroy them. They were worried, and that all has to do with covenant legal systems and the treaties that existed. And that's another conversation, but it's very important that you understand that these, these, this, this culture of Israel was a vassal kingdom of Rome. In other words, Rome had complete authority over Israel. And if they raised up a king, that meant Rome would come and crush that kingdom. When they paraded Jesus to the cross, that was a ceremony that was given to Caesars when they were coronated. So they were basically mocking Jesus as a coronated Caesar right up to the moment of his death. It's a big, big, big thing of shame that they did to him. Okay? So anyway, if Jesus really was the Messiah by their misuse of the Torah, they were forsaken God. They brought this woman, but the Torah says, you have to bring both caught, the, male, the man and the woman, okay? <clears throat> but they didn't. You have to understand, this great big celebration just ended, and they were going to put this woman to death. They were going to stone her. So <clears throat> Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, why did he say that to her? Okay. So if you, when you understand what's happening here, they, they were proclaiming the fountain of living water. And I don't have the verse in front of me. In Deuteronomy, I, I don't have it. In any event, Jesus stoops down and he begins to write in the dirt. And then he stands up and he says, he was without sin, let him cast the first stone. And he drops back down and he starts writing in the dirt. It says, one by one, they left. There's shame. So if you read Jeremiah 17, 13, uh, let me bring it up here real quick. It says, remember the verse uh, in Jeremiah, the hope of Israel, his Savior. He stands up during the ceremony and he declares, I am the hope of Israel during this very ceremony that Jeremiah was talking about. So then if you go over to Jeremiah seventeen thirteen, it says, Lord, you who are the hope of Israel, all who forsake you will be put to shame. 
Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. So I want you to understand the gravity of what's happening. He stood up and declared who he was the day before. They're bringing this woman the next day to kill her. He doesn't know these people. So what he's doing is he's writing their names in the dust. And one by one, they walk away because they're realizing the person who declared who he was in the temple the day before is the Lord God. And they're, 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 they're sitting there. He's condemning them by writing their name in the dust. And these were the Pharisees. These were the ones who understood the law. So when he started writing their names and didn't know them, they went, oh, my God, how is he doing this? He's fulfilling the prophecy of Jeremiah. They knew the prophecy. They didn't realize, or they realized at that moment, that the prophecy that Jeremiah had written about was being fulfilled with their condemnation. And that's why they walked away. And then he says, and this is the beauty of our Messiah, he says to the woman, where are your accusers? You see, nobody died that day. All of those men had an opportunity to repent and to return to the covenant. And the woman had an opportunity to repent. And the mercy of our Lord was, was presented to all of them at the time of the great feast. And Sukkot means the Lord is with us. So the Lord was with these people. And even though they were condemned, he was condemning them. They understood it based on their culture. They had an opportunity to repent. They had an opportunity to return. And that's the backstory. And I could give you all the verses and you could study this out for yourself. But, but the Bible answers itself when we know what we're looking for. We've got to right, ask the right question. So I hope, that understa- I hope you understand a little bit more about the backstory that was occurring with this woman and why he was writing in the dirt. So that, that, that I hope that, I, I don't know if that means anything to anybody, but that blew my mind when I, when I really studied it out and signed this out. So go ahead. I, I'm done. I could talk forever, but go ahead. Yeah. Anybody that has any questions or want to make any comments to Jeff, please feel free to do uh-huh. that. Press star six. You know, this is Maria. Um, I do. Okay. Okay, Maria. Uh, okay. Uh, thank you so much, Jeff. This has been fabulous. I really so appreciate it. I have asked. I have asked over the years that question. I've asked, "What was he writing in the dirt?" I wanted to know the answer to that question, like my whole adult life, Fred. <laughs> So, um, so thank you. That's just terrific. What I want to ask also is, where would you recommend, you know, people start? I mean, is there a particular book or or, or Bible or you know, to to become more, to to understand this more? Where would you recommend we start for education? Well, how about giving well, uh, lessons? I'm sorry, say that I didn't hear that part. Can you give Bible lessons to all of us? Uh, so that you can, you got to download so that you can pass it on to us because I would love to listen to your lessons. Well, I, I have, um, you know, I, I, first I want to clarify something. I want to make something perfectly clear. 
I'm a servant to my Lord God. I'm, I'm nobody beyond that. I'm one of you folks. I work, I pay bills, I do all of these things, but I have an understanding. This is what my understanding is. When we understand that we have been grafted into the plan that God has introduced to all of humanity through this nation called Israel, then we are, we are under an obligation. It's like a marriage covenant. So as I, as I understand this, I realize that I have an obligation to fulfill uh, as, 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 because I've accepted the blood covenant of my Messiah. I'm obligated by law, kingdom law, to do the things that I'm doing. And so with that being said, I have um, – there's, there's something that I always send to people because in the Christian mind, in the Christian mind, we, you, there, a paradigm shift literally has to occur because for 1,800 years we've been taught a story presented to us by the church fathers. Paul, right. were he alive today, he wouldn't know what we were talking about. Exactly. He would be clueless. And so what I always do, I brought, I brought Professor John Walton to um, – John Walton is a rock star to me. He's huge. But I brought him to Puyallup a year ago this month, as a matter of fact. And he spent three days going through the material that he's been studying for 40 years. So I have um, I posted all eight of those sessions on my YouTube page. And I always tell believers to go there and watch all eight of those because something has to happen. Literally, something has to happen. You have to, you have to understand two things. You have to accept two things. Number one, the church taught us that the church was the new thing and that the Jews were the old thing, okay? <clears throat> that one, and so we've had 18 years, Jesus is the head of the church, okay? Well, I would challenge that thought because God produced everything that he wanted all of humanity to know to a nation called Israel. And so I always tell people this. <clears throat> when you watch the John Walton thing, he's going to give you a different perspective on how to start studying the Bible from a different lens. <clears throat> There's several people I could recommend. There's tons of people. Because I've been studying this now for 13 years. And I've, I've learned so much, but I also had a download. Which, which is hard to explain to people. Um, but I, I, when I brought John Walton, I said, when, when the Christian mind understands that we can't look at it from our lens, we can't look at the Bible from a world of planes, electricity, boats, cars, all the things that we have, and also match it up with a scientific understanding. Because none of those things, none of them were relevant when any one of the biblical writers was writing the Bible. And so we have to kind of go back to their culture, and we have to understand their lens, and we have to look at things from a different perspective. I'll give you an example. Jesus heals the blind man, and he says to the blind man, and, and the very fact that he asked them, him the question 
is gigantic, but he says to the blind man, what do you see? The blind man answered him, but what I want to tell you is that every Jewish person at that time who heard the blind man answer him knew exactly what he was saying. But to you and I, we glance over it. We move to the next sentence. He said, I see people. They look like trees. Okay? But what does that mean? To those people, they knew exactly what he was talking about. I'll give you another example before I answer that. They saw Jesus after he was resurrected. They said, he looks like the gardener. What comes to mind in your mind is the guy out there with the garden hoe, <laughs> pruning the roses. That's what we think. But to that world, gardener meant king. So everybody that would have heard him, these two women say that, they said he looked like a king. But see, our translation doesn't address yeah. that concept. The blind, man, <laughs> uh, the blind man said, I see people, they look like trees. Trees was another word for kings. Jesus what? was nailed to a tree. The ladder in Ezekiel's dream is a tree. And so the word, is, the word there becomes axis mundi. The trees is what connect heaven to earth. In their understanding, the earth was where the gods lived in the skies or on top of high mountains. They had no concept of Jupiter and Venus and all these other things that we know scientifically. But they knew what the canopy was. That was the place in the skies, high above the trees. And the dead lived under the world, but it was all one place, one place. And so when it says, I see people, they look like trees, they're talking about, I see people that are kings all over the earth. And, and, and we don't understand that language. This is all kingdom language. There's, there's a language in the Bible, like uh, Spanish or Italian, it's called kingdom language. And when we start learning what that means, then we start seeing the role that... Have you ever wondered why Jesus attacked the, uh, the religious leadership after he was baptized? Prior to that, he was out with the folks. He was walking around and talking and sharing and teaching. But after he got baptized, he went straight after the leadership. And when I talk leadership, I'm talking always, always political leaders. Because when you talk about the kingdoms of the earth, all of them have political uh, there's a political, there's a dynamic in every, every kingdom in the earth, and it's politics. And for you and I today, this is probably, if you don't get anything out of what I'm saying to you, you have to understand this. And I pray, God, show these people, Lord God, you are royal emissaries to the kingdom of Almighty God through the blood of Messiah. And your job is to be the senator or the congressman representing the legality, the laws, the entirety of the structure of the kingdom of God. That's what your salvation is all about. Now, and, and I want to leave you with this thought. If Abraham, who was a king, by the way, do you remember Abraham went and rescued Lot? He defeated five kings with 300 men. He was a snowman running around with sheep. 
is more than just a nomad running around with sheep. He's a king. And so if he had said no, then this kingdom would have never happened. Jacob was the son of a king. When you look at David's kingdom, it was very political. In fact, I'm reading two books. I've read them. It's called The Politics in the Bible and David's Politics. Great book by a Jewish author. His name is Paul Abramson. So when you understand the role of government, every government on the earth is a facsimile of the government of God. Jesus shall bear the weight of the government. And when we understand this, then we realize that we are supposed to be representatives of the legality of the king. And that's what the Jewish people... There's a reason the Jewish people are over there fighting for the land, because they're in covenant with the king. When you talk to a Jewish person with their language, they go, you know this? Yes, I do. But if you go to them and say, if you need to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, they're immediately going to write you off as a Catholic and walk away from you. But I talked to the Jewish people who understand who Jesus was. I said, well, why don't Charlie Schiffman, he's gone now. But I said to him, why didn't you tell us? He said, we did. The blood of our people cries out of the ground because of the persecution of our people by the church in the name of Jesus. And see, when you go back and peel all that away and start learning what they know, it will blow your brain up. But we've been taught that they're bad. Jews bad, Christians good. It's kind of in our brain. And that, that's probably, I would say for me, my, this is my opinion, that's probably the greatest deception the world has ever known. Amen. Because God used the house of Israel to reveal. You ever wonder why the disciples were Jewish, the writers of the Bible were Jewish, the Gospels were Jewish, the biblical account is Jewish. The nation of Israel is the only nation in the history of the world, history of the world to be born again, the only nation in the history of the world to have its ancient language restored, and the only nation in the history of the world for its people to maintain their identity for 2,000 years spread out all over the earth. Have you ever wondered why? And then when you start pursuing this and you start talking to them, now, I'm not talking about the Jews who absolutely hate our Messiah because they're there. I'm talking about the ones who've done the research and understand and will say to you, we know who Jesus was. You don't. And I found out about 10 years ago they're right because when they broke down what he was doing, why he was doing it, why he healed the person's eyes, why he heard the heal the person's ears, why he healed the person's body, why he healed the the mute, the dead. All of it has to do with the body of Israel being healed in order for it to fulfill its mandate, which was to be a light for the nations in order for the nations to be redeemed. And when we understand this, then we go, oh, my God, that's the reason why Israel was born again, because God's going to fulfill his purposes through his people, whether we like it or not. And we have to get rid of the anti-Semitism and the replacement theology and all the stuff that right. led us away from the biblical story, which so is true. Huge. You're right. You're right. It's so true. I'm, I'm a Messianic Jew, and I understand exactly what you're talking about, and you're so right. Praise God for you. I'm, I'm teaching, teaching every Thursday, walking the ancient paths, and this is what it's all about. 
Oh, so I just listen to your service. Can you, you know, I, 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 I want to echo what she just said, okay? See, it, it's not, my purpose is not to rip what you have been taught out of your chest and out of your heart and out of your spirit. My purpose is to park something up next to it so that you can understand why Jesus came in the fourth millennium, why he died. I'll ask this question. Jesus says this on the cross. He says, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? For years that puzzled me. I, you come to do the will of your Father, and now you're up here on the cross going, why are you forsaking me? In the minutes that we have left, can somebody turn to Psalm 22 real quick? Grab your Bible. Whoever gets it, just chime in and read it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you something huge. Psalm 22. The whole thing or just a few, a few lines? Well, we're going we're gonna to read you... until I tell you to stop. Oh, okay. It starts with, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so okay, hang on. helping me? Hang on. Hang on just a second. So now we know that Jesus isn't talking to God. He's quoting David. Yes. He's quoting Psalm 22, which they had to do every year at the Passover. Now, sister, if you wouldn't mind, keep reading, because I want you to understand why he's quoting that. Go ahead. Okay. Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh, my God, <laughs> I cry in the daytime, but thou hast, hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. But thou art holy, O thou, that inhabitest the places of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee, and were delivered. They trusted in thee, and were not confounded. But I am a worm, and no man, a reproach of men, and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake their head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver them. him. Let him deliver him, seeing him, he delighted in him. But thou art... He that took me out of the womb, thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb, thou art my God from my mother's belly. But not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed okay. me. Strong, okay. You can, you can stop right there. So the okay. reason why Yeshua is reciting that is because David wrote that a thousand years earlier. And what he's writing they're watching happen to the hope of Israel. They're seeing the redemption occur. They're seeing the God of creation sitting up there, being everything that that psalm is saying, they're watching it happen. And it was at that moment that most, this is, this is my most fervent belief, that moment is why the gospel message blew up all over the world is because what the Jews were waiting for was a man, Deuteronomy 18.18 18 says, I shall raise up among you one who is, uh, you know, the prophet. So they're waiting for a man. Now, the Bible is in patterns. It's repeating patterns over and over again. So when those people heard him reciting that psalm, and they're watching that psalm happen to him, they realize that that moment, and it's going to happen again, God bless them, they're going to realize that, oh, my God, it's the God of creation. 
It was not a man. He's he deified. This is who he is. And it's going to happen again when the Jews cry out and say, Hashem. They're going to go, oh, my God. Here's the beautiful thing about that. At the same time, the church is going to do the same thing because the church is going to go, oh, my God. He was Jewish. And the reason why that story is so relevant is because when Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, he said, draw near. And they saw that he was circumcised. And they realized he was their brother who had been gone for centuries or for 40 years. But he looked like an Egyptian. He looked like a Gentile. He looked like something other than Jewish. And at the same moment, all of Egypt and all of Israel revealed, Joseph was revealed to all of them at the same time, and it's going to happen again. Amen. And that's, Amen. that's the beauty. That's it. Baruch Adonai. Blessed is you, Thomas, in the name of the Lord. Okay, that's exactly it's a, it's right. a little, it's a, it's a little past six o'clock, and I uh, promised that it would not last longer than an hour, and so we'll we'll bring it to a close. Jeff, it is uh, can, tremendous. Can we can we have the can we have the YouTube channel, please, where Jeff says he put this eight session? Sure, Jeff. The go easiest ahead. way for me to do that, the easiest way for me to do that is if you, if you could just get my my email address. Which is, I wrote a book called Uncoloring Race, Black to Gray Sheets. <clears throat> so my email address is uncoloringrace at gmail.com. Okay. If you go, Thank if, you. You, if, you type, if you type this in, Lost World Conference, Jeff Morton on YouTube, uh, and you want to click the playlist, all eight of those will come up. But for anyone okay. who emails me, I'll send you as much information as I can. And I want to okay, well, real quickly, Mike. Uncoloring race, Jeff, uncoloring, C-O-L-O-R-I-N-G. Yes, yeah, uncoloring, uncoloring race, race at gmail. At gmail. At gmail. Okay. And, and I, I, I want, want to, to encourage say something to, Michael, if I could just say something to all of the folks sure. listening. You, you people are the front line. You, 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 God has given us a responsibility to uphold his statutes, his commandments, and his laws. The United States of America is the, only, is the only other nation that entered into a covenant relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we have a biblical obligation to represent the government that stands for his truth. And Amen. we don't have that in this nation. And the reason we don't have that in this nation is because the body of Christ is not on the front lines. So I, I, I'm grateful for what you folks are doing, and but we have to. We have to take back the territory. It's right. that simple. So God bless you all. Bless you too. Okay. okay. Thank you, Jeff. And um, I just, uh, <laughs> I, if, if you get a chance to go to those videos, I was there at the conference. I met uh, John Walton. He's a humble, beautiful man, and his presentations are very simple to listen to, very good. Uh, it's just excellent stuff. That's a good place to start to get an understanding of what Jeff has been talking about. And so I want to end it right now. Heavenly Father, open up a door for Jeff to continue in the ministry of teaching and sharing the mystery of your scriptures that has been opened up to him and touch each one of us on this call to hunger and thirst
to know exactly what it is you want us to be and do for your yeah. kingdom and understand the scriptures in our own hearts so that we can continue to share it and give more to the kingdom of God. I give this over you to you, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. amen. God bless you all. Amen. Uh, good.